Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the, I'm just going to say Transformers podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today we're we're looking at all sorts of things. Uh, we are sort of in between series right now, so we are going to start off by wrapping up with the Unicron trilogy. It spanned many years. It uh, produced a ton of toys and resulted in about 150 episodes of anime. <laughs> so much. Three of them some good. Of, some yes. of them make sense. And it didn't have a ton of lasting effects on the franchise as a whole. There are some things that have carried over as sort of perennial things, which uh, is nice to see. We do see, uh, we still see mini-cons to this day. Mm-hmm. It is where the, I, well, no, I guess Beast Machines was where that originated, but it was where the whole, we'll have multiple size class releases of important characters really turned into a mainstay. Yes. I think that was especially in Cybertron, which introduced the uh, Legends price point, which is, you know, tiny, fairly simple Transformers at a low price point that are versions of the larger cast. A very impulse yep. buy sort of price point. I think, well, I wouldn't say that was so much the point where, I think that was the point where basics were starting to get above the the $5 point. Yeah, they were starting to sort of get squeezed out. We, um... We didn't have any, I think, for uh, Transformers Animated. and then I, hmm. But they did exist in the movie line, though. Yes. Animated had, like, activators. Oh, yeah, it did have the activators. Right, right. So anyway, and uh, Energon, I don't think much from Energon at all has carried over, probably because it didn't have a lot of ideas. Well, yeah. They tried combiners and they didn't work, and they eventually did come back to combiners in a few different ways later on. Yeah, but I mean, those were those combiners were sort of. I mean, I guess the the whole one guy is the torso, one guy is the legs combining that didn't really catch on. Have we? Ha- Although actually, that's coming back, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. In the new hey, uh, hey. new uh, new uh, everything old is new again. <laughs> This has happened before, and it will happen again. Yes. Shirts and pants for everyone with magnets. <laughs> yep. Are they magnets? Is that how they work? Are they oh. magnets? Oh. I don't know. I haven't got it. We'll have to get our hands on some to find out. I'll have to keep away from my VHS collection. How do they work? Oh, man. My how did Primus come up with dirt? <laughs> <laughs> my copy of Lensman. <laughs> oh. And then Cybertron, the big thing that came uh, here, or that came from here, were the concept of the Cybertron colony worlds, which uh, previous fictions had touched on a little bit, but they didn't have the sort of Star Trek-esque theme worlds that uh, <laughs> that the they have now. So, you know, there's the planet of fast guys, planet of animal guys. I mean, presumably to... Botanica was from a, a planet of plant. Guys, but this is true. Not. Well, that wasn't really so much a, a colony as just like one ship of people. Yes, and that uh, that was carried over into the aligned uh, novels, which I think lifted uh, Velocitron almost precise, almost uh, word for word from. <laughs> because uh, why wouldn't Cybertron. you? Why wouldn't you steal a great concept that was horribly mangled? Oh, so yes, horribly! I mean, like, like of the things in Cybertron, the the planets that are different themed is great. The Velocitron planet was handled the worst. It it should have been Speed Racer, the planet. 
Yeah. Instead, it's we're just racing in a straight line forever in For a desert. Episode on end. It's like, like each episode of a different race isn't memorable. Like there's no I mean, desert episode, zone. There's, there's episode, no city section. It's just. I get not being able to make your uh, racing film look as visually interesting as the Wachowski sisters speed racer movie, but how do you not make your racing thing look more interesting than the original 60s speed racer anime? I mean, for one, you can't have people just getting horribly killed all the time. They're giant robots you can repair. Having them careen (laughs) off the ramp and explode, and then a medic shows up, would make more sense than the original Speed Racer, where people die every episode. (laughs) People die in the opening to that show. So much dying. It's great. At the very least, they should be racing around like giant Hot Wheels tracks. Yeah, Yeah. something more. I I think there was like a loop de loop in one episode, but it didn't matter which shit. It was just. It was probably like the uh, name of the episode. <laughs> like, yeah, there should the, be big loops. Lot. There should be pits of lava. Yeah. Yeah, no. There it should is... be like pterodactyls that you have to fly around. Something. There should be a road with hammers above it that are just continually smashing down. Like, like yeah. a rainbow road that, although I would hate that Ooh. episode because rainbow road is the worst. It makes me really uncomfortable. As, as someone who is very acrophobic, it makes me very uncomfortable. I just hate it because I'm bad at it. Well, that too. Almost everyone is bad at it, except for professional Mario Karters. Yeah, like, the SNES one is bad. It's better in the N64 version. That one's painfully long. So, yeah, they've kept that. And I guess there is a a beast planet in... So anyway, they use that in the Aligned Comics, and they've also started using it in the IDW Comics, which is great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now we're up to, we've got, uh, we've got, we've got, uh, Velocitron. We've got the planet of beasts that is, in fact, mostly Beast Wars guys. Yeah, cause. Uh, I've got the planet of Micromaster combiners. Aww. They're so cute. I love them because they're like, they're all like bros. <laughs> well, I mean, you'd have to be if you're forming one vehicle mode. You get really sick of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, the, uh, the Cybertron colony worlds, so that, you know, that's a nice addition to the, uh, the mythos. Yeah. And then I can't recall if the concept of Cybertron transforming has come up again. Uh, I think Hmm. it originated in concepts for Dreamwave's uh, War Within series. That's entirely possible. But I yeah, uh, Don Figueroa was doing like concept art. And I think that the eventual toy was heavily based on his work. Yeah. I, I recall that being like something that was in the back of, you know, one of the like one of the trees. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure Hasbro learned things from the toy design, and certainly those molds showed up forever as exclusives. Oh yeah. But as once Cybertron ended, something else was looming on the horizon. Something that we thought would never happen. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! And that is a live-action Transformers movie. Proof, proof that there is going to be a live-action Transformers movie. I mean, it, you know, they've been talking about this for years in various, you know, first just you know fans talking about it, and then people who were actually running the brand started to talk about it, and and then we got a trailer, and then it actually happened. <laughs> I know, right?
I, I think I, I forget whether I mentioned or maybe on, on something else about how at the the uh, the showing at BotCon I said proof that we're getting a live action <laughs> actually I think I said that at the ending credits I forget whether I said that at the beginning or the the yeah I, end I think credits. I think Jen and I were both at that screening that was at uh, that was in Rhode Island at uh, yeah. BotCon yes and I was at that uh, screening too oh okay yay remember we were roommates oh right we were <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to go it was a very hectic weekend yes it was yeah. You were in that Volvo that I just sold. Yeah. All right. So yeah, Somebody this put a V8 in. And so, not only did this movie actually happen, but it was a huge hit, <clears throat> defying all odds, kind of. <laughs> yeah. And also defying all odds, it was. You know, I'm going to go on a limb here. It was a good movie. I, I feel play. like. I feel like I only. I think it's good now in in retrospect, like with the other more recent ones to compare it to. I, I think it was good, not great at the time, and I feel like part of that was the restraining influence of Steven Spielberg upon Michael Bay, which was missing from the later ones. And that's yeah. another thing, Steven Spielberg producing a Transformers movie. Oh yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> Steven Spielberg in. Like video documentaries and promotional stuff, saying how big of a fan he is of the Transformers. <laughs> yes, sure. And, yeah, and like talking about him playing with them with his kids and just this bit of like fan fanon of like Steven Spielberg walking around movie studios with just like a couple minicons in his pocket that he'd pop <laughs> out and play with while waiting for a meeting to start. <laughs> strange. Thing. I I think the, the Spielberginess of the first movie helps it because it it's a simple story. Boy befriends alien who happens to be his first car. That that yes. core concept is the good the best part of the first movie. It's why it works. It's a better yes. movie than we thought we could get, kind of. <laughs> like like it's a real movie. Yeah. Yes. It's it's a serious yeah. action movie. It also helps I mean, that one of the serious. earlier drafts, instead of being written by Orsi and Kurtzman, although they did the final pass, so I think that gets them credit. One of the uh, earlier versions was written by uh, television producer John Rogers. That's correct. Uh, the core and Catwoman's John Rogers. Nice. Oh. We, we won't hold those against him. You should. <laughs> yeah. He also did the guy. TV series Leverage, which is extremely good. Oh, oh okay. So he's been and paying for And I don't know about the core, but I know with Catwoman, he was one of like 20-something writers who had been attached oh, yeah. to the script at one point or another. Yeah. That's like blaming one writer for Titan AE. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um... He's shared an, an anecdote from his later writer rooms where they were talking about, okay, what's the one word that represents each of these works or series or whatever and like uh Buffy was loneliness I forget what one of the other ones was and then someone hit him with Catwoman and then one of the other writers in the room said mortgage <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah this was this was a huge hit I think it was the third highest grossing movie in the US in 2007 uh after um Spider-Man 3 and Shrek 3 oh and it has gone on to be tremendously influential amongst, you know, 
big budget sci-fi blockbusters. Oh man, has it. I mean, it's, that was really the point where, I, I don't know if I've talked before about, you know, Transformers as a fandom being sort of a oddity. Uh, you know, certainly like in the late 90s, that's an odd thing to say that you're a fan of, but the movie was really the point of really mainstreaming the series. And even like in the early 2000s, there was the, the hot topic t-shirt period of Transformers <laughs> popularity. And uh, revived Family Guy having like random cuts to Soundwave as gag characters and Robot Chicken having skits with yeah. Transformers. Yeah, but this was really the point where it became like a huge cultural phenomenon again. Mm-hmm. Where it really became something that, you know, I could trust any random person on the street I'm talking to to know who Optimus Prime is. So, like we're now at the point where you can watch the Super Bowl and see an ad in which Kelsey Grammer is asking about the whereabouts of Optimus Prime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Such a strange thing to have evolved. And not only did this sell a lot of movie tickets, this sold a ton of Transformers. Yes. Many oh, boys. Yes. It sold a, a lot of Camaros, too. It did. Oh, oh the... so many Camaros after, like, after, like, I think the second movie came out there. I would see, like, three Camaros a day. <laughs> How many of them weren't yellow? <laughs> there was a black one, but I think it was probably the same black one I would always see. Huh? I see green one, but apart from that, all yellow. Often with stripes. Yeah, and there that was, was a package actually they offered. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, also came with like a Autobot logo hubcaps and like shifter <laughs> top. Oh, so good, so good. But yeah, it was. It did really well. I mean, it's honestly why we got things like the Battleship movie and the Ouija board movie. And <laughs> well, those Ouija board movies make a ton of money because. Literally, you ha- you have to pay a bunch of teenagers and then buy them a Ouija board, and there's your movie. <laughs> yeah, admittedly. Yeah, those are cheap and kind of came after the period of Battleship. But... Yeah. yeah, Battleship was definitely a, okay, we're just doing what we did for Transformers, we will do for this board game. <laughs> yes. And it didn't work, and neither did either of those Joe movies either. Was that... I, the... I liked both of those Joe yeah. movies, at least. And they're okay, but they were not... Transformer-sized hits. Well, yeah, but like no. the yeah. thing, weren't were the Joe movies like weren't they in production or, or at least trying to push them even before the Transformers movie? And it was like someone said, "No, let's make the Transformers movie instead of the Joe movie. We'll make the Joes later." And that's how it worked out. I think so. Yes, but it's definitely okay. Transformers is a huge hit. Let's fast track this GI Joe movie and get yeah. them that sweet Hasbro Skrilla. <laughs> <laughs> delicious, delicious Hasbro moolah. Yeah, that was such a big deal. Yes, and I can say that, you know, well, I mean, as I guess three quarters of us can say, that seeing this movie in a theater full of Transformers nuts was a singularly exciting and also bizarre experience. (laughs) Yeah, there's the the whole thing about the the, uh, Hasbro logo getting a standing applause. (laughs) (laughs) And I think at some point somebody clapping for Peter Cullen. uh... Oh, and also remember people starting to get excited in the... Pre, uh, in the first scene when you hear that Transformers noise. Yes. 
Uh, it was great. Which, wait, wasn't... The best possible crowd to see it with. Yes. That's uh, the first scene where uh, Blackout, the helicopter guy, is attacking that military base. Isn't the sound uh, only uh, in that scene, though? I think it might be. Yeah. But now, it was that... Was that movie the first big movie to do the whole, like, weird blue-orange shift thing that every movie... It, it was around always before that. I think Bay has always done that. Yeah. Bay has always done that. It's always been a thing you kind of can do, especially with color grading yeah. technology mm-hmm. that I guess Oh Brother Where Art Thou was kind of like the first landmark of that being done. But as color grading technology got more available, the whole blue-yellow thing is like the most obvious thing to do with it because human skin is kind of in that tone range that works for the yellow, for the orange, mm-hmm. and sky is blue. So if you're shooting during the daytime, Outside. you can get that super saturated look. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the thing is those two colors, they're I don't know the They're opposite each other on the color wheel. Yep. But yes, they're means they complementary, I think. Yes. yes. Uh so yeah, they they pop against each other. Uh and that makes the whole thing, you know, that that much more visually compelling. But man, they could maybe have done it less. Well, it's, it's not the Transformers' fault. It's everyone else doing it after that that has made it uh, so annoying. So we can't entirely yeah. blame Bay. It's just that's also why style. half the movie scores uh, now sound like Steve Jablonski. Yeah, that's all. It's, it's a... wow. And I really like those Steve Jablonski scores for the Transformers movies, but they are oft yeah. imitated. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's his, oh, it's probably... his scores are definitely one of the best parts. Of one of the best things about those movies. That probably is a problem because that's also as we've emerged into the era of editing digitally and shooting digitally and being able to start editing immediately. Instead of having composers just working from a blank slate or a few specific pieces of inspiration, the movie is already being edited around placeholder music. Mm-hmm. So the problem isn't just they're trying to imitate the Steve Jablonski Transformers score. The problem is that in some cases they're using the Steve Jablonski Transformers score as placeholder music when they're doing the preliminary editing of their movie before going and saying, hey, we need something that matches this edit that I already did. <laughs> they're saying we need something that we actually have the rights to use. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe do something about that. Yeah, I edited this scene to the beats of this song. I need a song that has those beats in it. But which we have the rights to. Yes. One which is legally distinct from it. <laughs> Just add a ting-ting at the end, like uh, Vanilla Ice does. <laughs> <laughs> and so Hasbro was, although obviously they wanted this movie to succeed, they were left with sort of a conundrum. They wanted it to succeed. They wanted you know people to... And when it succeeded, they wanted people to associate it with, you know, their, their Transformers toys and their, the Transformers TV show that would follow it uh, on the screens later that year. But there's always that uh, but there, what if it's a huge failure? <laughs> and it, it could have happened. Oh, sure. I mean, I look at, uh, look, for instance, that uh, 98 Godzilla movie. That had a tie-in cartoon. That, that tie-in never... cartoon was good. <laughs> yes, but the problem is it was saddled with being part of that crummy movie. Yeah. Hey, my my father was inordinately fond of that movie. 
Big uh, big Hank Azaria fan? <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know. All I know is that one weekend I called my mom and, like, the weekend it came out on DVD and she told me that he had watched it, like, three times. Do, does Already. he really hate Siskel and Ebert? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm like, not like saying he is a person. Out of absolute news radio. Yeah, and and I think that movie also also suffered somewhat from about three years later uh, the uh, we we will call it the robots in disguise conundrum. Yes, being too soon because I noticed uh, that uh, like oh, oh. it disappeared from everything for a while, and then a few years ago I noticed it popping up on like stars, you know, older movie channel thing all the time. And I was like, hey, that was, that was a thing. I forgot about that. Yeah, I was working at an actual mall bookstore when that came out. And yeah, the, uh, the merchandise markdown was, was real. Cause the merchandise for the Godzilla, that Godzilla movie was not, did not move. Oh, I, I can, yeah, the, the Hasbro people probably were feeling exactly like that. It's like, oh shit, what happened to that? Cause, I've been a Godzilla fan longer than I've been a Transformers fan. And there was hype. There's a G-Fan, the Godzilla magazine thingy, you know, for, for fans, by fans. And there was hype before the movie came out. And we saw the design. It's like, okay, okay, it's a little different. Looks like Shere Khan, whatever. Maybe it'll be good. Then the movie came out. It's like, nope, that's bullshit. <laughs> it is not Godzilla. <laughs> it's like, everybody turned on it. So, yeah, Hasbro was probably the same with that. It's like, oh, what if it turns out to be crap? We only have so much control over this movie. I mean, with Steven Spielberg, but he didn't direct it. We have this guy who did a lot of commercials and, and music videos and, and this thing with Nick Cage. To be fair, The Rock is a great movie. The Rock is... Well, I haven't seen Pain and Gain yet, but I think it's Michael Bay's best movie. Yeah, it, Pain and Gain, and I would say Transformers are the, the Bay top three. Yeah. Let's not Easily. talk about the island. <laughs> it's okay. not... Terrible? No. It's, it's, I mean, it was obviously it's fascinating. Good to reuse. It's, yeah. like, <laughs> I want to, no, I want to corner Michael Bay, like, in a courtroom where he's under oath for some other reason, <laughs> and ask him about the island. Was that Dark of the Moon, or was that Revenge of the Fallen where they reused that? That was Dark of the Moon. That was Dark of the Moon. <laughs> and and it was, was great because I'm like, you know, I lived in the D.C. suburbs for a while, and it's like, hey, they're they're going on the Beltway. And it's like, oh, boy, this is – that's not the Beltway. <laughs> that's another movie. Yeah. It's I, I just, like road signs for Peoria. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, that's the least D.C. I, I just want to know what inspired him to not only do a remake of Parts the Clonus Horror, legendary <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000 topic. <laughs> But to do it shot for shot in many places. <laughs> you know, it's weird. When I was a kid, I was super freaked out by parts of the Clonus Horror. Like, I didn't see it, but, like, they had a copy in our local video store, and there was this label on the, like, the video cover that said, Warning, if scenes of intense horror disturb you, do not watch this film. Oh, I think I and I was like, oh, no, I'm a super wussy kid. I could never see this. <laughs> I was also that way as a kid, honestly. I know that feeling. And I'm pretty sure on the on the like the cover, there are a bunch of, like, filing cabinets with labels, like eyes and, like, organs. Uh, uh-huh. 
Well, I, I, well, that that was also from like the era of like when the box cover was way better and had nothing to do with the movie. Well, yes. Truth in advertising? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> you'll rent it and you'll like it. <laughs> oh, rentals. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, you know, so Hasbro kind of had to hedge their bets. Their next series had to be kind of like Transformers the movie, but it had to kind of not be like it. And also, from a practical standpoint, it couldn't be like it. Because this was something that, like, Aaron Archer had gone out to work with ILM to just brainstorm how we can make something that will look like this amazing CGI, super complicated robots on screen that they can still make toys out of. And you just can't actually animate robots in 2D that'll look like that. It's impossible. That much detail cannot be drawn frame to frame to frame on the kind of budget they're doing. I, I do really appreciate that rather than doing sort of a watered-down, stylized version of that, they just went with something totally different. Yeah, or, I mean, or even going CG def- again and doing something similar. Well, you can yeah. definitely see the influences of the movie on this, but yeah. they're not nearly as apparent as they would be in the next series. It's, you'd see it a lot in the design for Megatron, but not a lot past that. I guess Bumblebee has a straight. Well, Optimus Prime <laughs> is as close as you can get, kind of, in simplified animation. Same proportions. Uh, but he's, that's just normal Optimus Prime proportions. That's just heroic proportions. Well, yeah. It's just normal Optimus, Optimus Prime. Prime drawn by Derek Wyatt proportions. Yes. Oh, it's do we want to talk about the initial thing we saw from animated that oh the first picture. really badly chosen promotional yeah. yes there's so our first indication of you know we've been hearing rumblings about a uh, a new transformer series for some time you know because obviously you know cybertron was over something had to come up because god forbid transformers not be on tv for 5 seconds <laughs> got sell toys I, I, I say, exactly those toys are going to sell themselves and so we finally got this piece of promo art, and it did not look good. No. Well, that's the thing. Like, with a lot of uh, series, like, the first promo art isn't best. Like, um, was it the Young Justice cartoon? Like, the first promo art was equally horrible or something? There was one, I, some DC series where, like, the first promo art that came out was, like, it just did not look good. It's like, a weird action pose, and, like, each character looked like they were from a different plane of existence, which is sort of how the first animated thing is. Like, nobody was, like, in the same space together. Well, yeah, they were probably just sort of cut and pasted together. And Mm -hmm. Like, Pat Lee was working on it. (laughs) I'm just thinking of the one that was just Optimus showing first, and it was the one where... I don't even remember that. The one pose that they don't actually have a good model for is Optimus's face with the plate up dead ahead. Yeah, it just looks kind of horrible. And that was the ones they led with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet this would uh, be the first uh, Transformer series produced in the United States, uh, both with a, an American voice cast and uh, American uh, writers since oh. uh, Generation 1. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, we at the time, we just referred to it as being, like, Western-produced versus anime, but yeah, I mean, Beast Wars and Beast Machines were Canadian, eh? That is correct. We, we lay claim to them. 
although this this show does, will end up having at least one Canadian in it. Yes. Sort of like oh, yes. uh, apparently how Cam Clark moved to Canada to do He-Man. So apparently I don't oh, know right. that David Kay moved to – I don't know that he moved for that job. Presumably he just moved for career opportunities in general. But Yeah, because you do see him like in things now, although – no, I mean, he no. was in the. He had like a brief background role as like a news person in uh, X Two X Men Unlimited. But I think and, that was filmed in Canada. Oh well, all right. Yeah, that also, was because he, it was right down the road. That Dan is right down the road from where Gary Chalk lives. Oh, right. Wow. That, the That's second one was Vancouver. The first one was filmed in Toronto because the X Mansion is just Castle Loma, he's a famous that. Toronto mansion. You okay, tell but us that story at one of the uh, botcon dinners. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yes. Then after that, there was a point where uh, David Kay was hired as the voice of Fox Sports. Oh right. Oh, that sounds. I barely watched it except just passing through. But I do sort of. Now that I think about it, that does sound familiar. And then I'm not sure where they uh, recorded those Enzite commercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen. Man's got to pay the bills. Yep. Don't hold it against him. It's important. Commercials anyway, this people. show uh, would feature some talent from the uh, uh, Canadian shows, as its uh, head writer was uh, Marty Eisenberg, uh, one half of the team that gave us Beast Machines. Yes. And I believe uh, Susan Blue was the voice uh, voice director on that one, wasn't she? Yes, she was. I believe she's at least she's on it. I think she is the voice director. And I know in the brief moments that RC was there. Yes, and she was the voice director. Okay, so yeah, even though that wasn't in Canada. Hmm. I mean, I guess she must be American because she was on G One. Well, yeah, she was American, but she moved to Canada, and I don't know how coincidental it is that she was able to get married much earlier there than she would have been able to here, or if... I don't know if that was a coincidence or that sort of thing was actually why she moved to Canada, but the point remains that, you know, legal protections for the LGBT community were progressed faster in Canada, and therefore that's a place one might have wanted to go. Yes. And uh, the head character uh, designer is Derek J. Wyatt, who uh, previously worked on uh, Teen Titans and I think Ben 10... That's correct. Yeah. And he has a very distinctive style and is a big uh, Transformers fan. Yeah, he had actually uh, been to BotCon before he was even part of, you know, the staff. Oh. And he, he's just delightful to meet. He's, yes. he's charming. And the, uh, the, the show would be very, sort of, I'm maybe closest in tone to Generation 1, but almost more of a, a superhero show at least at the start, than a uh, conventional Transformers, more military-oriented show. Yeah, but it's also very Beast Wars-y because of the limited cast and kind of the archetypes they fill. Yes, and a couple of the characters, as we'll find out. Well, yes. Yes. And, and we get super-powered human villains for a lot of the first season. Part of what they, that sort of the stated intent was to make the Decepticons actually seriously threatening Mm -hmm. and do that in part by having them not show up as frequently having it so that when they do show up it's a big deal Uh, so as part of that yeah they ended up 
dealing more with human characters in order to save the Decepticons for, you know, basically in order to not overuse the Decepticons. Yes. Yeah, so this, you know, it's, it's a well-structured show, and obviously we are going to go uh, through it episode by episode, uh, starting next week. So set your uh, podcast machines to <laughs> subscribe. Do a computer thing and listen to our uh, to our podcast. <laughs> or a phone thing, if that's how you roll. Yes. Do we want to talk about movie toys before we go? Yeah, we can talk about the movie toys. I mean, I, at some point I think we'll go through the movie uh Generally, and you know, we'll we'll actually watch the thing and Eventually. talk about it. Yep. Okay, then let's talk about the coincidentally movie toys, the Real Gear robots. Well, I <laughs> I do enjoy the Real Gear robots. So they they needed, you know, this was as the movie turned out to be a success. They had all hands on deck for the merchandise. The amount of merchandise, uh, like just non transformer, like non transforming stuff, is huge. Mm-hmm. Optimash Prime. That's right. <laughs> yes. And the actual Transformers that came out for it, uh, they even had to bolster the line with a bunch of Target exclusives of uh, recolored uh, Cybertron stuff. toys. Most and I think some Energon stuff in there, yeah, too. There yeah, there were combiners. Yeah. Yes. And uh, they also included the Real Gear robots, which I believe were originally intended to be part of the Cybertron line. And some, of the, and some of the early ones actually have, like, Cybertron-specific stuff on them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have, like, a... Decals with Jetfire of something. Decals and... that are screenshots from the show. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and they were guys based on, um, like, household objects. Yes. They had, like, a, like a, thing. A, a hilariously 2007 flip phone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A camcorder, a video yeah. game controller, a uh, a little Game Gear, an iPod. Yeah. Yes, that came with its own Bluetooth headset. Yes. There's, oh. There's a a, a a now archaic device known as a watch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it was like a Fitbit, except it just told you the time. Yeah, it, it didn't like count your steps or anything. It just showed the time. Sometimes also, what- they had alarms. Also, one, uh, it was a Decepticon. It was named Meantime, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty good. But I mean, generally, the 2000 toy line did a surprisingly good job of capturing these super complicated uh, movie designs and making them into workable action yeah, figures. Most, even if in uh, Legends Jazz's case, that meant having the front bumper of. A uh, Pontiac Solstice also strapped to the back where the roof meets the well, trunk. The, that's the itty bitty smaller scale. Like, yeah. Most of the, even the deluxes are really good. Bumblebees. Well, no, maybe the first movie Bumblebee wasn't that great, but a lot of the others were good. Ratchet. Eh. Well, well, the one based on that uh, Bumblebee was like the breakout character of the movie, and that. <laughs> The toy of his modern Camaro form was impossible to find for a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now they're everywhere. All oh, the yeah. kids wanted it. Oh, Ironhide was good, too, and he also got a uh, full-size vehicle release. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. The GMC Top Kick Global Warming Edition. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Although, like, yeah. some of those first toys are really great. Like, the leader Optimus Prime might still be my favorite Optimus Prime toy to transform. It's very neat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's close enough to the movie that it's totally fine. Yeah. Yes. 
Barricade and Frenzy were great. Yes. And Barricade, sadly a character who hasn't really shown up in a lot of other media. And it's such a great concept. He's a Decepticon police car. Yeah, it's yes. like one of the most surprisingly, why didn't we get this before ideas? <laughs> I mean, I yes, thought, Jay, I mean, it really sense either. Maybe they weren't willing to be quite that subversive. Yeah, that's what I was yes, thinking. Yes, yeah. yeah. But he's, he's maybe the most terrifying five. villain in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, uh, so we, we mentioned that BotCon, uh, that uh, the the hotel and convention center also was attached to a mall, uh, and there was a hot topic there that had the like to uh, was it to something and enslave? Oh, to punish and enslave. To, to, to punish of, and enslave. Uh, to, uh, to serve and protect. Yeah, that's some sort of style. On the they car. had that T-shirt, and I just I don't think they were prepared. I think <laughs> it, it was sold out at least by Friday evening. Just all of them were just gone. On. Like I, I got into town on, I don't know, maybe Thursday. I don't remember now. The point is, they had them and they just disappeared. <laughs> I mean, it's possible you just missed it because that mall, I think, was designed by M. C. Escher. It yeah, was. Yeah, it was not a good yeah. mall. For those of you who have not been to that mall in Rhode Island, it is set up as like what a four-story mall with escalators on each side of like a very long racetrack. <laughs> and the escalators, you can't go up and down at each end. It's like one end you can only keep going up and one end you can only keep going down. Yeah, I I recall just always just saying, Wait, is it the I'm, gonna, I'm going to take the elevator because I, again, am very acrophobic and do not like escalators, especially when they have glass sides and especially when they are four stories up. Yeah. So that, that mall, I got very accustomed to where the, the elevator was. Screw this. Uh, Not a great design. So, and yeah, that toy line was very extensive and uh, went, you know, it basically went until the sequel toys were available. Yeah. Yeah. In part because they couldn't use any of the designs or molds outside of the movie toy line. No. Yeah, because it was so, you know, the design was so specific. I mean, they, they well, that, did. Well, I think it was a legal thing. Yeah, it oh, was like wow. the designs were the property of ILM and Paramount. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, like, even the stuff that didn't make the movie but was still based on concept art mm-hmm. could not be used anywhere else, like wreckage. Yeah. Wow. Okay, then. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't recall the figures, but it, it was a huge success for Hasbro and made them a ton of money. It basically brought them back from where the Phantom Menace had left them. Yes. And I think, I can't remember if they also had the, I don't know if they had the Marvel license by then, because that was the same year that Spider-Man 3 came out, and that line shelf warmed forever. Hmm. As did the toys for Pirates of the Caribbean 3. There were toys for Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean? There were of indeed. Of course there were. I, oh, that, it just feels like a thing that doesn't happen now as much. Well, then again, I, I mean, do remember the Warcraft movie toys. Oh, there were Warcraft movie toys. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. They were. They were. They they wound up in that part of the toy aisle that goes to like the uh, McFarlane toys stuff and yeah. like yeah, the pop think... aisle, like the adult collector aisle. Not the we think this is an actually successful toy line aisle. And, and they retailed for like twenty bucks, and also they didn't. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure they never actually made the one character I would have bought. Yeah, it, it wasn't as shelf warmy as the toys. Ketgar! The toys for... I love Ketgar. Such the, a precious... The Hobbit movie. Those toys were, yeah, more unfortunate. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw those outside of, like, Barnes & Noble. Hmm. Oh, my right. Barnes & Noble carried them, though. They hung around in my Toys R Us for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's Transformers! Oh, they sold. Everything sold. Yes. I mean, it wasn't until, like, the fourth movie that, like, Bumblebee seemed to hang around more. Because every yes. child had five of them at that point. Yep. And, oh, Hasbro did have the Marvel license at that point. Okay. Ah. So, yeah, that... It, and it, it did well enough that it actually pushed back the Transformers animated toy line until midway through the next year. Yeah, I remember part of the excitement about BotCon being in Cincinnati that year was that Cincinnati was close enough to where the animated stuff was being test marketed, that they could go out and buy as much as possible, <laughs> and people brought it to the dealer room and it was like, holy crap, you can get animated toys. Well, yeah. you can't anymore because they're sold out, but you could have. I... For about I, 30 seconds. I, I totally heard, got a lockdown there, I think. And this could entirely be rumor and conjecture, but I heard that they had chosen to test market them there and then because that was BotCon weekend. Oh, oh so they were guaranteeing sales. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sounds like cheating yes. as far as cheating <laughs> goes. But... <laughs> well, anyone but but yeah, I heard, stores? I mean, that that was what was being said at the time. Whether it was true or not, I I cannot confirm. So, uh, yeah, that uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, rewatching Trans uh, Transformers Animated. It was a real breath of fresh air after the somewhat monotony of the uh, Unicron trilogy. Yeah. Oh, such monotony. And I'm curious to see how it holds up. And uh, you will all find out with us. Yes, should be fun. Is there anything else we need to cover? Um, the fact that I got back into the fandom because the movie happened? Okay, well, please tell us. Is it because you were a big fan of Shia LaBeouf? No, no, it was just Actual like... Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf? Wandering on the internet, you know, forums, whatever. Oh, there's going to be a Transformers movie eventually. Yeah, whatever. It's like, oh, it's actually happened. Wait, what? Oh, maybe I should go see what Transformers toys are doing now. And then I found, oh, Cybertron toys. Oh, my God, these are neat. So I started collecting again. And got a shitload off of eBay. Mostly Cybertron, Submitterjohn, Armada. It's like, these are neat. And then, oh, the movie toys came out. They're great. Oh, the movies. It's a Transformers movie. <laughs> it's pretty good. Definitely oh my, a Transformers movie. Oh, my God. The, the last action scene I cannot follow at all. But other than that, it was great. I mean, that last action scene had uh Hugo Weaving yelling... Super villain lines <laughs> at uh, Peter Cullen. So, as far as I'm concerned, it was great. <laughs> and Cullen's questions and things. Yeah. So, and the movie eventually made me find people online who talk about Transformers, which is how I know you guys who saw the movie together. Well, in the same yep. room, anyway. And forgot you were in the sharing of a, a room, a hotel. Uh... I remember that you were in the back of my car, though. So. Yep. And okay. I, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm just now remembering that, uh, Rachel Taylor was also there. Uh, she was that, uh, Australian hacker <gasps> in the movie. Yeah. And she's also on Jessica Jones. 
Because the oh. thing is, they introduced her, and you know, nobody had seen the movie yet, so nobody knew what she did yes. in the movie. Because then they introduced Tyrese Gibson, who, who everybody knew from the trailer, for loudly yelling, bring it. Yes. <laughs> everybody was very excited about Tyrese Gibson. And then Tyrese yelled the thing and everyone was happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's... One might say he brought it. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say that. Yeah, I'd say that. Uh, I mean, it it still feels vaguely crazy to me that we're now looking at the release of the fifth Transformers movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's mind... it's, It's like this weird section, like... It's like a symptom of reality fracturing that it's happening and keeps happening. I mean, it's much like you must feel about a Guardians of the Galaxy movie happening. That, oh, no, okay, the Guardians of the Galaxy... A sequel happening. We're getting a sequel to a movie featuring a character I read as a child about a rocket raccoon that it... Yeah, that's way more weird and awesome, the Transformers. Based on a not particularly good Beatles song. <laughs> a Beatles song I never heard of. Until I'm, I, I'm more partial to Octopus's Garden myself. Oh. But yeah, this, so, yeah, this, this was, 2007 was the most, you know, probably the most momentous year in Transformers history since 1996 when Beast Wars resurrected the franchise. Oh, wow, it was a decade ago. Yeah, try not to think about that too much. <laughs> oh. It's 10th anniversary. That's that's completely unintentional. I mean, when we started this, I wanted to start, like, the Beast Wars talk on, like, the anniversary of when it started. And now we're in the aniv- 10 years since animated. Okay. Wow. Accidental anniversary. Although well, we're not quite the anniversary, because I think it premiered in, like, December. Yeah, it was late, oddly late. But, yeah, but we will be coming, in about six months, we'll be at the Transformers uh, 10th anniversary, so we can all watch that. I, I guess. One of these days, I'm going to make us watch that. One of these days. <laughs> I, I still, we still need to do some original good old TFTM. I, yeah, I, I, I'm vetoing Transformers the movie minute. <laughs> well, the live-action one, anyway. Okay, so, so we're just moving right on to Revenge of the Fallen Minute. Can do. <gasps> no! No! Not minute by minute. <laughs> that would be painful, except for the tightest shirt minute. And we'd have to spend, l- literally, about 15 minutes talking about Devastator's testicles. Yeah. Ah, no! Is the fourth movie in the second movie or the third movie? Huh? The, uh, th- wait, which, what's in the third or second? The forest fight. That is the second. Yeah. Okay, so there's at least one other redeeming quality. And and I like I like John Turturro in that movie. True. And no. No. <laughs> you don't like John Turturro? Okay. No, not really. Two, we see him in his underwear. <laughs> and three, I mean, that's still better than that movie where he plays a middle-aged gigolo with Woody Allen as his pimp. Uh... I'm not entirely sure I've seen any other movies with John Turturro. You've never seen the Big Lebowski? Oh, right. He's the Jesus. He's, uh, he's the Jesus. Okay, so in every movie he's in, and he's the most annoying character? <laughs> you're, you're oh, now I'm just thinking about Barton Fink and thinking, 
Oh, God. I want Hound to still have a good role in the next movie, because... I will show you the life of the mind! (laughs) (laughs) Make it stop. I love Bart. No, that's from Bart and Fink, not from Age of Extinction. Although I wouldn't put it past Michael Bay to have Hound yelling, I'll show you the life of the spark! I'll show you the life of the spark! While running after someone with a shotgun. He has a shotgun! That's true. I mean, looking at his casting choices, he's seen a lot of Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, which is amazing, really. Which means that the Coen Brothers have probably seen Transformers Dark of the Moon. Why? Well, they probably went – well, Frances McDormand's in it, and whichever one is married to her probably went to the premiere with her. Yeah, I mean – I want to say Joel. It's one of them. So, yes, they probably watched Transformers Dark of the Moon. I feel bad for them. I mean, I, it's better than Aeon Flux, which she's also in. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, if you put it that way. <laughs> and, you know, Michael Bay, say what you will about him, the man uh, can attract good actors. Yeah, that's one of the most amazing things, that there's really good actors in these movies. Well, you know, if you, you put know. cast side by side, you'd be hard pressed to guess whether or not it was like Oscar Darling Cohen Brothers bizarre thing or Michael Bay movie. Well, until you hit Megan Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the movie, they, in a Cohen Brothers movie, they'd be like minor characters that are somebody's kid or something. I mean, I can't, I can't say. Although, admittedly, Tara Reid is in uh, Big Lebowski. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. That's well, not completely all. Although, now I want Frasier in a Coen Brothers movie, uh, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, it's kind of surprising he hasn't been. Uh, and I'm also, likewise, I'm surprised that Steve Buscemi has not been in a Transformers movie. That That is one of my favorite jokes. Hmm? Just referring to Kelsey Grammer as Frasier. <laughs> well, Especially if it's not Frasier. It's, F- it's pronounced F-R-A-J-E-R. <laughs> I love that, and I don't know why. It's a thing. So yes, please join us here next time when we. Uh, sorry, I gotta look at the episode title. When we watch the series premiere of Transformers Animated, episode one, the animated menace. Because <laughs> some people really didn't like this show. <laughs> well, in fact, it is a three-part uh, pilot. Movie pilot episode, transform and roll out. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're doing one at a time, not all at once now. Yes, yeah, so transform, transform and roll out part one. Yay! But until then, you can find us all over the internet. We are on Facebook, we are on Tumblr, and we are on Twitter. And we are hosted by iaconunderground.net, uh, where we have a Patreon set up for this and uh, also our... Uh, news podcast, Icon Underground Radio. That is at patreon.com slash Icon Underground. Uh, also, recently, we have set up an Amazon affiliate page. Uh, so I will have a link up to that on the website, uh, certainly by the time this this uh, podcast goes live. And you can use that for all of your toy and or battery and or diaper shopping needs. Or get, uh, get Transformers animated on DVD. And uh, watch along with us. Yeah. 
Uh, they've just released a uh, a full series set for the first time. So pick oh. that up and watch along and you know, toss us some scratch along the way. Yes. We we need it. Buy an buy an audio equipment. Video equipment. I'm I'm hoping to actually do some video stuff, but I do not have proper equipment for video stuff, so I'm working towards that. And of course, you can also find us on iTunes and Google Play. And uh, while you're doing so, please rate and review us. And if you'd uh, like to let us know what you feel about the end of the Unicron trilogy, the uh, Transformers, the live action movie, or Transformers animated, then write into the Maxim mailbag at stasispodcast at gmail.com. So until next week, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm thinking about Walter Sobchak fighting King Kong. I'm David. He's a period piece, isn't it? Maybe, maybe he's the in same. In the seventies, yes. Wait, is it? What part is it? Is it during the Vietnam War? I think maybe right after the Vietnam. It's all like Vietnam era stuff. No, it just says nineteen seventies on Wikipedia. That King Kong cast is also kind of hey. weird. And it's also got a Mark Evan Jackson, who I believe is in Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, I just know it, it's got John Goodman, Loki, Sam Jackson, that funny guy. John C. Riley. Yeah, the funny guy who I don't think is funny in anything I've seen him in. John C. Riley? What are you, nuts? I haven't seen much John C. Riley. Oh, I like him in uh, Wreck It Ralph. Oh, oh, right, he was Ralph. Uh, okay, I enjoy seen... Step Brothers. Mm, haven't seen, don't want to. Pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, John C. Riley is great. Yeah. Also, somebody once said I, I looked like him, and I was somewhat offended, because I do like John C. Riley, but the first line of his IMDb bio was homely character actor John C. Riley. <laughs> yeah, no, I... That's not very nice. Oh, and it's also got uh, Captain Marvel out. Who the hell did they cast as Captain Marvel? Uh, Brie Larson. Canada's own Brie Larson. Really? She... What? Oh, I thought she was... Con- okay... She has a Canadian parent. She grew up in California. Oh, she was yes. Scott Pilgrim. That's why. Yes. Uh, she was Envy Adams. <laughs> uh, she's also in those, uh, she's also in 21 Jump Street. Oh, right. Oh, for some reason, like, my brain had compartmentalized that John C. Riley isn't the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, he's also in Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously. Like, because I really like him in that movie, but in anything else I've seen no. his face in, I haven't liked him. Have you seen Gangs of New York? He was in that? Yeah, he's like uh, he's like the corrupt, he's like the crooked cop. Oh, well, I saw it once, only most okay, of I mean, that, that's a movie I really enjoy, although it it has some structural issues, and uh, Cameron Diaz's Irish accent is terrible. 